0: Now, I am not very good at waiting for people, right? I can easily start to mourn about it. I'm not saying this for those who, are, who have turned up late. Uh, I'm just saying that in general, I am not very good at uh, I'm not very good at waiting for people. But uh, Brother Andrew, of course, was intrigued by that because I, I turned up late while he was waiting uh, for the prayer meeting this morning. What I found is that the more I care about the person I'm waiting for. Uh, the more anxious and grumpy I get when I'm waiting for them. So for example, I find it very hard uh, waiting for my wife when she has travelled somewhere, especially to central London or something. And then she tells me I'm coming back at 6, and uh, she then runs late. I just start getting worried, I start getting anxious, uh, I start worrying about our safety, I start worrying about, oh, I have to now <laughs> sort out of everything for Abigail. <laughs> there is that as well. Now. It is good for us to be concerned, isn't it, for people uh, who have been away, uh, who are away for a while and we're waiting for them. Uh, But endless worrying for them, endless worry in life, uh, exposes really in us a deep lack of trust uh, in God. The Bible encourages us to cast all our burdens on God because He cares for us, right? God doesn't want us to worry. He understands we, we should be concerned. But God doesn't want us to worry endlessly. In fact, perpetual worry uh, can be a sin before God. He wants us to trust him always as it were, And this includes trusting him concerning things he has said in the Bible. Uh, It includes trusting him concerning the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the church has been waiting for Jesus to come back for 2,000 years, so sometimes Oh, we feel anxious about it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have experienced some anxiety about this. Why is Jesus taking so long? I mean, come on. 2,000 years. That seems quite long, right? Uh, has he changed his mind about his people? Uh, how long, oh Lord? You know, we have that in Revelation. The saints crying out, how long, O oh Lord, before you judge the earth? So it is normal for us to, to be anxious. It is normal for us to, uh, to a degree Uh, to be deeply concerned about the fact that Jesus hasn't yet come. But as expected, our Lord Jesus already knows that, right? Uh, He he knows all things, and in the Bible, He has just the right ways to encourage us. He knows that we're going to feel like that, as long as He hasn't yet come. That's why we we have Mark 13 in the Bible. Uh, Mark 13 is there to encourage us, to let us know that Jesus is coming back for us. Now, last Sunday evening we looked at verse 24 to verse 27 of Mark 13, right? And in these verses, uh, those verses, Jesus painted a vivid portrait uh, of the events that will accompany the second coming of Jesus. Today we are looking at verse 28 to verse 32. And in these verses in front of us, Jesus is encouraging us to have confidence in his word. He wants us to be confident that he is coming back again for us. Let's read those words again, verse 28 to verse 32. Look at those words. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he, that is Jesus, is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. I just want to tell you that the key verse in that passage is verse 31. Verse 31 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. It is a key verse because Jesus is saying we can trust everything he is saying here concerning his second coming because his word lasts forever. The earth will one day wear out like a garment. Heaven will pass away. Heaven, the seat of God, will pass away. There will be a new heaven to come. But all that Jesus says will never change. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the same today, well, yesterday, today, and forever. And the same is true for his word. His word never passes away. Because Jesus' word is the almighty God himself speaking to us. Jesus is God speaking to us. So his word will come to true fulfillment so let's keep that in mind and as we look at this passage jesus has three encouragements here concerning his second coming uh, to just encourage us on why we can trust his word that is definitely coming back now the first thing is just that the first truth we encouragement Jesus has for us is that Jesus is definitely coming back. I mean by that, Jesus will come back for sure, without any doubt, right? That's the first point we want, we should learn from this. Now, during the Brexit crisis, we were told that most businesses, right, did not care about what happened with Brexit. What they actually cared about was just knowing what was happening, Businesses were just looking for certainty. They'll find ways of making money either way. They just wanted to know what is happening with Brexit. They they don't like risk. They don't like not knowing. But it's not just businesses, isn't it? All of us want certainty in life, don't we? We want to know what's going on, what the future holds. And we believe that the more information we have, the more data we have in our hands, the better. Because the more information we have about things going on in the world or what will happen tomorrow, the better we are prepared to face those circumstances. All of us are like that, not just businesses. And this is why when Jesus taught his disciples that the temple is going to be destroyed, um, as we shall see in a moment, they quickly put him aside. They wanted to know when was it going to happen. Let me just remind you what we read in verse, if you just scan your eyes there, on verse 2. Mark 13 verse 2 to verse 4. Let me just remind you what happened. On verse 2 to verse 4 of Mark chapter 13 and Jesus said to him do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately tell us What is the question? When will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Uh, Their top question, these four disciples, is quite simple. When will the temple be destroyed in Jerusalem? Which Jesus had already said will happen. And we said that the reason they want to know the answer to that question is because they assume when the temple is destroyed, then the end of the world will also come at the same time. Now, as we've been going through Mark 13, Jesus has not answered the question of when will the world end. He hasn't answered that question. He's told us what it's going to look like when it ends. Verse 24 to 28, last Sunday evening, uh, was looking 27, was looking at that. But only now Jesus begins to answer the question. And he answers it in verse 32. We're stepping from the back and work, working our way back as it were, this this morning. Verse 32 is when he answers that question. When will the end of the world happen? Verse 32. By concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven. Not the Son, But only the Father. Jesus says, there's no one who knows. Only God the Father has that information. Now that is a very, uh, it's a verse that gets the Jehovah's Witnesses very excited when they read that. You see, you see here, Jesus is just as ignorant as you are, isn't it? As we all are. So how can Jesus be God then, if no one knows? Now, when we come to a difficult verse in the Bible, the most important, we'll deal with that, the most important thing we need to first of all be clear about is what the big truth of the passage is is trying to communicate to us. What is the big truth this verse 32 is trying to communicate to us? Well, the big truth in verse 32 is not that Jesus does not know when he will return. It is true that is communicated here. But the big truth is also not that only God knows. no, no, that's not the big truth. The big truth here we need to first of all get is that the Lord Jesus is definitely coming back. That's what verse 32 is communicating. Someone knows, because God the Father knows. Look at verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And the thing I just want to explain here is that when Jesus says that God the Father knows, it does not simply mean that God the Father has written it in his calendar, in his diary somewhere, the date he has. But it means more than that. Jesus means that his second coming is being planned and controlled by God the Father. We were studying that actually in Second Peter in our Bible studies, when he says the Lord knows how to rescue, uh, how to rescue the righteous. Uh, we made the point in our Bible studies on Thursday and Fridays that knowing there is more than just intellectual knowledge. It is the fact that God is in control. God is sovereign over the dead. And that's what over the righteous. And that's what it means here. It means, first of all, that God is in charge. He's the one planning. He's the one controlling when Jesus is coming. And of course, that includes the date. But it is much more than that. Jesus is saying, just as my first coming into the world was planned by my Father in heaven, he has also planned my second coming. I have come to do my Father's will. And the will of God the Father is that His eternal Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is definitely coming back. So we must continue to wait for our Lord Jesus to come back. That's what the first thing Jesus wants to encourage us in. I'm definitely coming back, so keep waiting for me until I return. Now, if you're a true follower of Jesus, you know in your heart that Jesus is coming back already. I mean, that's why you are here, isn't it? You wouldn't be here if you didn't believe Jesus is coming back. You are here because you already believe, if you're trusting in Christ, that Jesus is coming back. All true followers of Jesus are waiting for Jesus to come. And yet, at the same time, you know you need this reminder that Jesus is coming back. You need to be reminded. Why? because you don't always live like Jesus is coming back. You know, but you know you don't always live, you know he's coming back, but you know you don't always live like he's coming back. You know you often go through life without even thinking about Jesus coming back. You just like it out here sometimes. You know you don't always pray earnestly and fervently for Jesus to return. You know that you spend your time and your money like someone who does not think she'll have to give an account to Jesus for everything she does. You know you enter relationships with people. Not like someone who thinks you have to give an account when Jesus returns for that relationship. You just do it without even thinking about Jesus. Wrong friends you pick up who are not good for your walk with Jesus. You know you lack the zeal and the agency in taking the good news of Jesus to your family members and your friends who desperately need to turn to Jesus before he returns. You know you lack zeal to do that. Why, why are you like that? Well, the reason you're like this is not because you don't believe Jesus is coming back. You're a Christian because You do. There's no one who can be a true Christian who doesn't believe Jesus is coming back. because to deny Jesus coming back is to deny his, res- his ascension into heaven. His words is to deny verse thirty, well verse 31, really, It is to deny the entire Mark 13. It is to deny that Jesus has risen from the dead. So if you're a true Christian, you do believe Jesus is coming back. But you live in such a way that sometimes you live in such a way yet that shows that you forget that Jesus is coming back. And the reason you forget that Jesus is coming back is partly because of your sinful nature, you're still being sanctified, you're still growing to become more like Jesus. But the other reason is because the world is working very hard to make you forget. A couple of years ago, the Daily Telegraph published a list of the best airports in the world. To get stranded at. So, what is the best airport if you're traveling, I don't know, to California somewhere, and then you find yourself stranded at an airport? What's a good one to be at? Which it won't really matter. And top of the list was Singapore's Changi. Is it Changi? Is it Changi? Yeah. But while I smile, I'm sure I spent time there. You know what's coming? Changi Airport in Singapore. It has two free, free, that's good. Free 24 hour cinemas, swimming pool, sunflower gardens, and a 40 meter waterfall rain vortex. I think Abigail would love that. Uh, that comes alive at night uh, with light and sound. It's, it's wonderful, apparently. Uh, that's brother Ola, he's passed through that. Many modern airports, of course, are not just Changi Airport, are designed to make people stay longer. It's quite strange. You're meant to travel somewhere, but they designed them to make you stay longer in the airport. When you go to passing through Dubai, it's just shopping, shopping, and you want to stay, don't you? They want to make you stay longer in the airport so you can take your mind off, perhaps change your journey, stay in the airport or something like that. Or organize your journey in such a way that you don't get there where you need to get to very quickly. They want you to stay there to spend your money, right? Now, the world is a bit like those airports, Right? This world um, is, is, is there, really, to, to take our minds off the coming of Jesus. It does that to our, to our it's a sinful world, so it does that to our, to our, to our lives. Uh, it knows it can never rob us of our true salvation in Jesus. If we're genuinely converted, we are held firm and safe in Christ. But what the world can do is that it can make you forget. It can make you think that this world is all there is. Uh, The the world can make you live as if Jesus is not coming back. And it does this by enticing you to try and get as much pleasure and happiness out of this life as possible. You know there's a better life to come, but the world says, no, no, no. (laughs) You like it down here. You do. Spend more on things of this world. And when you, when, you, when you decide to live for Jesus, you, you, you suffer from uh, something Brother Ola reminded us of uh, a while back in his sermon. FOMO, isn't it? The fear of missing out on all worldly pleasures. And I learned a new phrase from Brother Ola called YOLO, right? You only live once. That's what the word says to us. And as a result, what happens is that when we give to this FOMO and this yellow, as it were, we dishonor God, don't we? We dishonor God with our sin and we become very fruitless. We start living for things of this world. Jesus knows that. So that's why it's written here, he's given us these words, which Mark has recorded in Mark 13, verse 32, says concerning that day or that hour, no one knows not even angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He's saying the Father knows. He's saying the Father knows that I am definitely coming back and is bringing it about. And he wants to encourage you this morning, keep your focus on this incredible truth that Jesus is definitely coming back for his followers. And if there's anything in your life that is distracting you from that, bring it before God, surrender it to God, if you haven't come, become a Christian, repent and become genuinely a truly converted follower of Jesus. But if you are a Christian, look in your life things that are keeping you from focusing on Jesus and focus on him. Because Jesus is definitely coming back. That's the first truth. The second truth we learn here uh, is this. The second tr- encouragement Jesus has for us is that Jesus is coming back on God's time. Jesus is coming back on God's time. We said the big truth of verse 32 is that Jesus is definitely coming back. But we must not miss the other truth of verse 32. The return date for Jesus is a secret. Let's just remind ourselves that. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As I said, the Jehovah's Witness. Really get excited about this, right? Because they're asking, how then can Jesus be God when he says here he's ignorant? And he instead, I raise this question, doesn't it? Because has Mark not been teaching us that Jesus is God among us? Have we not been banging on about that for the last 102 sermons? We have, haven't we? So, how can then we come to this verse and Jesus says he's clueless? What, what is going on here? Now, we could spend hours on this one. But for the sake of time, I'm going to make two assumptions, right? The first assumption I'm going to make is this. I'm going to take it for granted that all of us here, I know it may not be the case, but all of us here are familiar that the Bible teaches us that God is Trinity. What I mean by that is that God is three persons in one essence. God exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And the important thing is that each of these three persons are God in their own independent right. Okay? They are both, the three of them are each fully God. But here's the crucial thing, and this is where the Trinity comes in. The three persons are not three separate gods. Jesus was not created by God. Jesus is God. Each of the three persons, yes, are fully God in their own right, but they're not three separate gods. The three are one essence. That is to say, one plus one plus one is equal to one in the Bible. Not three. That's the Holy Trinity. So I'm going to assume you you, you just believe that, right? (laughs) Understand that and you know it already. We could spend a lot of time trying to prove that. But... I'm going to take it for granted you uh, believe that already. The second thing I'm going to take for granted is that you celebrate Christmas and you are hopefully here during the Christmas time. I'm going to take it for granted that you know that Christmas reminds us that God the Son has entered this world in the womb of the Virgin Mary and was born with our human flesh. The second member of the Trinity, God the Son, has become man. He's added to his divinity... A human nature. That's what Christmas is all about. So I'm going to take it for granted that you've had enough Christmas sermon just to believe that, right? What that means though is this, is that Jesus of Nazareth has two natures. One nature is 100% divine and the other nature he has is 100% human. This is important. 100% divine, 100% human. Jesus is not Half God or half man, like Achilles or Thor, we might say, it is not like the idol of Islam, which is all God and no man. Okay, that's the idol Islam worships. Is not all God and no man. Is not like Buddha or John the Baptist. Is not all man and no God. Jesus is. 100% God and 100% man. I know those are two difficult truths and you probably uh, uh, need time if you don't know that much, much about both uh, to think about them and I'm happy to discuss with you further about them. But I'll take those two truths for granted. But here's a key point that brings them together. This is why it's important. The key point is this. Though the Lord Jesus as a person is fully God, he has that full divine nature, he is choosing to live his life on Earth as a man dependent on God, the Spirit. In other words, all the time that we have seen Jesus in Mark, he is fully God, yes, but he is not drawing on his divine bank account. He's not checking on it, as it were. He's living off his human nature. So he's been defeating Satan, walking on water and doing all other miracles, relying not on his divine nature. So how is he doing it? Well, he's doing it by relying on God the Spirit. That's why when Jesus is baptized in Mark 1, is empowered by the Spirit and driven into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit is there to fill him. Now, of course the Holy Spirit fills Jesus perfectly, because Jesus is a perfect human being as well, right? So the way the Holy Spirit works in the life of Jesus will be different from how it works in us. We are tempted by sin. Jesus has no sin. But that's important that Jesus is doing all of these things dependent on his human nature, as it were, just of his human nature, but dependent on God the Spirit, the Word of God, which he has read, and prayers before God the Father. Those three areas. The Spirit, the Word, and prayer. Okay? Why is Jesus doing that? That's quite an important question. He's doing that because in order to save us from sin, Jesus must live a life we can't live. A life without sin as an ordinary human being. While remaining fully God. And only by doing that can he go to the cross and die in your place. If Jesus cannot live like you, he cannot die for you. He cannot save you. And because Jesus is living as a man dependent on the spirit, it does mean that Jesus gets tired. It means Jesus gets hungry like we do. In his food. In his transport to get from A to B. Right? It also means that Jesus is living as a human being is growing in his knowledge. Just like the rest of us. How do I know? Because Luke 2 verse 52 tells us, you probably read this at Christmas time, the Sanderson knows this very well. We pray this passage for our children. Luke 2 verse 52 says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That means throughout the life of Jesus as a toddler, he didn't know the same thing as a toddler, he doesn't know the same thing now that he knew as a toddler. His knowledge increased (laughs) as a human being. His knowledge of God also increased. His knowledge of himself as God also grew. As God the Son, in his essence, Jesus knows when he will return. Okay? So verse 32, that's what this means, right? Verse 32 says this, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The reason I said all of that is to remind you that Jesus, in his essence, or knows, as God the Son, knows when he will return. But he is choosing to live as an ordinary human being, which means Jesus, as an ordinary human being at this point, is ignorant of the future. As God the Son, he knows in his divine essence, but he's not drawing on that knowledge. He's living as a man, and therefore as a man... This knowledge has not been communicated from his divine nature to his human nature. How is Jesus living then? He's living by faith in God. And that's why Luke 252 is important. And Jesus increasing wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and man. Jesus is living by faith in God and God alone. That's why he prays. That's why he fasts. Because his faith is increases as he does those things. The point is this. If Jesus, this is the key point. Because if Jesus is doing this for us, isn't it? Right? Remember, he's doing this because he, has, he wants to die on the cross for us. Right? But there's another reason why Jesus is doing that. It's not just because he loves us. He's doing that because he loves us. And he wants to die for us on the cross. But there's another reason he's doing it. The reason he's doing it is that by living by faith, he's modeling it for you, he's following. Jesus is living as a man so that he can be your example on how you should live before God. That is so important you understand that. And I appreciate in the last hundred sermons, perhaps we haven't actually emphasized that enough. That aspect, the fact that how Jesus is living is there as a model for how you should live. How he lives saves you, but it's also your example on how you should live. Jesus lives by faith, and you are to live by faith. And what he's showing us here is such a wonderful truth. Here Jesus is showing us here that true faith is trusting God without knowing every detail. Jesus is trusting God with the date of his return. And Jesus wants us to be encouraged that even though we do not know when he will return, it is fine. Why is it fine? Because we trust God to send him back on time. Now, as I said, if you have been following Jesus for some time, you already know verse 32. You know that. You know no know human beings know the precise date when Jesus returns. So when you pick it up online, somebody predicts Jesus is coming and somebody has done it in July this year or something like that, you just laugh that off. You say, oh, don't think about July, he will come right now, right? You, 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 you know that already, right? So you just laugh it off. But you need to be reminded that no one knows when Jesus is returning, only the Father does. And that Jesus is coming back on time. Why do you need to know that? You need to remember that because because even though you do not know when Jesus is coming, you already know enough. You need to be reminded that you already know enough. And you don't need to know that detail. Jesus is coming. How do we know Because you already know enough. Because the Father knows. And you trust the Father. Our confidence in life is not based on knowing the details of everything. It is based on our trust in the people who always know more than us. We can illustrate this in so many ways. But think about it for a minute. If your wife tells you she's expecting your child, (laughs) right? She says, I'm pregnant, I'm expecting the child. You're not really going to turn to your wife and say... Well, thank you dear for telling me. Can you please do another pregnancy test so I can just see the results for myself? You're not going to say that to your wife, are you? And you're not going to say, by the way, while you're at it, please pass through Poundland and buy me one of those Jeremy Cow DNA tests so I can use it in nine months' time when you give birth. You're not going to tell that to your wife. You're not going to ask for more detail and proof that she's pregnant and she's your child. right? That would be a sure way for you to end your marriage, right? We do not ask the people we love for every detail. That's the whole point of loving them. We know they love us, and we trust their word. That's what love is. And in fact, you don't even ask the details about the policeman, even you, you don't love. If he tells you something you just trust, he's following the law. That's how life is. We don't always ask for details. If we trust people, we trust them based on who they are. In the same way, let us be encouraged here that the reason we do not know when Jesus is coming is because we have such a loving relationship with God that he doesn't demand that detail. That's the big point. Jesus loves God. He knows God loves him. He doesn't need to know. He knows enough to trust God. And the same for us. We trust the word of our loving God to send his son back. So we dare not ask him to put the debt in writing. We love and respect him too much to ask him for a date. So let us also therefore not forget the wider application for us here. The wider application of of this principle in this verse is very simple. You don't need to know all the details of your future because God knows. In general, you don't need to know because God knows. The God who loves you knows your future. Yes, I know you're anxious whether your marriage will survive this year. Maybe you're going through that difficult marriage relationship. And you're anxious, will it last this year? Will it last next year? There's so many difficulties. And you're anxious about that. You don't need to know whether you will. Trust the God who knows. I know you'd love to know whether you'll still be employed this time next year. You want to know whether you definitely live long enough to see your son make it to Cambridge and then marry a godly woman. You'd love to do that, wouldn't you? We'd love to know. Will I be there when my son makes it to Cambridge and marries a godly woman? But Jesus is teaching us here, it is not important to know those precise details of your future. Rest in this truth. Your loving God controls your future. Yes, you don't know what's gonna happen next week. You're probably worried about things that may come next week. But you don't need to be anxious. Trust that God knows your future. Trust God the Father who has already proved his love and faithfulness by sending his eternal Son, the Lord Jesus, to put on our human flesh. Trust God the Son who has walked up that road of Golgotha and allowed himself to be crushed on the Roman cross in your place. Trust God the Spirit who lives inside you as your comforter Teacher, encourager, power, strength, sanctifier, and the seal of your salvation. Trust him. You know the triune God means well for you. So be encouraged that if you are in Christ, your future, whatever, or your future of your children, or your grandchildren, your future is secure in Christ. Including the return of Jesus. It is known to God. Don't look for details. You already have the one who knows all the details. That's the encouragement we give. Here's a quick final one. This is a complex passage, so I'll go through this very quickly. The first truth we have encouragement Jesus has for us is Jesus is definitely coming back. The second encouragement is that Jesus is coming back on God's time and we should trust him. And here's just the final encouragement Jesus has for us in this passage. The final encouragement is this Jesus is coming back any moment, any moment. Jesus wants us to know that as soon as God the Father tells him to return to earth, he will be ready to return without any delay. Let's read verse 28 to verse 29. From the fifth we learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that it is near, at the very gates. You know the fig tree, and like other trees in Israel, loses its leaves in winter. I'm not a you know gardening expert. I'm looking at different expert, but the fig tree loses its leaves um, in winter. It only starts to grow tender with buds when spring comes. So it's different from the um, um, the almond. Is different from uh, the olive. It's different from those sorts of trees, which tend to um, review there and um, as it were much later. right? So, so the fig tree tends to grow tender with birds when spring comes along. And Jesus is sitting with his disciples on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives is famous for fig trees. right? And he's probably looking at one of them as he speaks and he's saying you see the appearance of these leaves is telling us we are entering a new season. And therefore in the same way When you see the events that Jesus has been talking about earlier in verse 1 to verse 13, we should know the end is imminent. Look at verse 29. So so when you see these things taking place, you know that he's near, or I am near, at the very gates. What does he mean by these things? Well, it doesn't mean the things in verse... This is the most important point. It doesn't mean the things in verse 14 to 27. How do I know? Because the things in verse 14 to 27 are not signs of the end. You need to understand that. Those things in verse 14 to 27, the Antichrist, the tribulation period, and the descent of the Lord Jesus in the clouds are not signs of the end. They are the end. They are the end. The end is not an event, it's a package of events. So what Jesus is talking about here are the things in verse 1 to 13. And these events include the destruction of the temple, which was fulfilled, as Jesus said. Look at verse 30 to verse 31 there. Moving on quickly. Truly I said to you, this generation will not pass away, but my words... This, truly I said to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus is basically saying here, the temple and other things in verse 1 to 13 will happen within 40 years. That's how long a generation is. And the prophecy of verse 1 to 13 was fulfilled exactly as he said. That was our first sermon. There were rumors, rumors of war. There was really just confusion. The temple was then destroyed. Now, Jesus did say those things will get worse and worse and worse over time, but it was fulfilled. In the first 40 years. That's the point Jesus is making. And Jesus is saying, he wants us to remember that because those things have happened, he is now ready to return any moment. Jesus is ready to go as soon as the Father says, go back now. That's the key point here. He's coming back at any moment. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, this truth should fill you with deep love and thanks for Jesus. Oh, what a wonderful image of Jesus we have in verse 29. You know that he is near, at the very gates. Jesus is standing at the gate for you. He has already packed his bags, ready to come and see you. He is so eager to be with you, his follower. Beloved, we need to pause and take this truth in. Think for a moment who is coming for you, who is standing ready to come to see you. This Jesus who is waiting to be with you is God the Son. He is everything that you are not. Jesus is eternal, independent and self-existent. He is absolute in power and dominion. He is the most pure, the most simple, the most spiritual of all essences. He is boundless in his boundlessness. Jesus is the infinite wisdom and goodness. All that Jesus does is wonderful, it is exciting, it is glorious, it is just, it is perfect, it is holy, it is right. It's kind. This is our Jesus. God himself. Who brought the world into existence. And then look at us. Look at yourself. Look at me. Look at us. We are sinners. Fragile. Weak. Often without joy. Always worrying. We are constantly drowning in the vomit of our sin, And we are destined for a physical death. And yet Jesus loves us. He has not only died for you and given you a new life by his Holy Spirit. He is coming to be with you for all eternity. What a loving God this Jesus is. He is not content to simply be crushed for my sin and your sin on the cross. He is on tenterhooks waiting to spend eternity with you, beloved. If you are a true follower of Jesus, these words here should encourage you that no one loves you as Jesus does. No one does. And so let the love of Jesus drive you to worship him. Let his love move you to cry out this morning, to ask him to inflame your desire, your energy and your passion to live and serve Jesus and to eagerly wait for his return. No more formal YOLO. Just thinking more of this Jesus who loves us beyond measure. And if you haven't come to that point of true surrender, here's your invitation to consider your life. What am I living for? Have I truly surrendered? Have I come to that point of giving my life to this Jesus? A God who covers an infinite distance to be with me and die on the cross and rise from death and ascending to heaven and is coming back for me again. Well, may the Lord help all of us to wait eagerly for the return of Christ.